you to turn to Acts chapter 1 and 2 and Matthew chapter 5. Acts 1 and 2 and Matthew chapter 5. Our key text in this series, City on a Hill, is the Matthew 5 passage on that we are a city on a hill, a light that needs to shine. The late F.B. Meyer used to tell the story of being on a ship headed into the Irish Channel. And as they were headed toward Hollyhead Channel, it was a pitch black night, no stars in the sky. Meyer said, I went to the deck to see the captain. And I was curious and asked him, how do you know where the entrance to the harbor is on such a dark night? And he said, sir, it's easy. There are three lights at the harbor. And when we position ourselves, when those three lights become one, that tells us the line for the center of the mouth of the harbor. We align ourselves with those three lights. And when we're in that line, we are safe. Meyer went on to say as a result of that, I believe there are three things that we need to have to know the will of God. He said, first of all, we need the inward impulse. God in our heart, the Holy Spirit inside of us. An inward impulse that tells us we are moving in the right direction. Secondly, there's the Word of God. Not only God in our heart, because our feelings can deceive us, but God in His Word. What has God said we are to do and we are to be in His Word? And then thirdly, the trend of circumstances. The trend of circumstances. The circumstances of that night were a dark night, no stars, pitch black, and they needed guidance. They needed to know how to make it safely into the harbor. So how does the Word of God, the heart of a church, and circumstances, how do those three things line up to show us a picture for the will of God? Because you have churches that say, we have a plan, we have a vision, but, but how do those line up in the will of God? What is the basis and the foundation by which we make those decisions. Because our calling, I think, according to the New Testament, is very clear. We are a local church with global impact. Now, that happens on a number of levels. It, it happens when Eric and Ramona Reese are in Brazil. It, it happens with the Peaches in Papua New Guinea. It, it happens with other families that are in some countries right now having to be moved around because of hostilities in, in uh, Africa and in the northern part of Africa. It, it happens all over the world, but it has to happen here too. We are a local church with global impact. The key is, how do we make sure Jerusalem is a strong enough church that it can reach Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Because when you walk off of this campus, when you drive off of this campus, when you get away from the property known as Sherwood Baptist Church, you have entered a mission field. So how do we turn the light on in a dark community? How do we spread good news? How do we be a 
Great Commission Church. Now, what, what's amazing is Jesus said this, and his ministry never went beyond Galilee and, and Jerusalem and into Samaria on one trip that we know of. And yet, he calls us to live a life beyond a realm of walking distance. He calls us to be global. We are living in a post-Christian America. I don't need to remind you of that. Uh, Christianity is out of favor in America today. We have uh, lost much of our influence in the church and in Christianity. Now a small percentage, less than 4% of our population, dictates fear into our society. There are elements in our society that are proposing that the United States Constitution and Sharia law can operate side by side. That is impossible. By the way, Sharia law allows for the abuse of women and it allows for slavery to be reenacted in the United States. You bring Sharia law to this country and we will tear up the Emancipation Proclamation and not go back just a few years, we'll go back hundreds of years. And the law will decide who gets enslaved. We need to wake up to the fact that the world is getting dark and the church better turn some lights on. We better be awake to what's going on in our culture. We better be awake to the fact that God has called us as a church to be a light in an increasingly dark world. Matthew 5, verse 14. Matthew 5 and verse 14. You are, it's emphatic, the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works. That's one of the ways you know your light shining. They see your good works. And glorify your Father who is in heaven. In other words, they don't glorify you. They don't glorify the government. They don't glorify a building. They glorify God who is in heaven because they see what we do. Paul said it this way in Philippians 2.15. Prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. Now, if we're going to be a city on a hill, we need to have two characteristics. Number one, we need to be blameless. We need to be blameless. That does not mean sinless or perfection. It means we're to be blameless beyond reproach. We get that by having integrity. We get that by being people of consistent character. The greatest witness we have in a world that is post-Christian and postmodern and relative is a consistent integrity and character in how we live our lives, how we handle our business, how we make decisions. That we need to be blameless, that the world can look at us and see that we are honorable people in how we do what we do. We're to be blameless, but not only blameless, we're to be pure. 
The Greek word that Paul uses about being pure is a word that describes wine that has not been diluted or metal that has not been weakened with lesser alloys. So we are to be pure. Jesus used that word in Matthew 10 and verse 16 when he told the disciples to be innocent as doves. Paul used it again in Romans when he said, you are to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. So here's the purpose of the church. We cannot dilute, weaken, or contaminate the truth just because it's not politically correct. We cannot water down the Word of God. We cannot compromise the Word of God. We cannot back away from the Word of God because it makes us feel uncomfortable. By the way, when you're talking about a holy God, it ought to make us feel uncomfortable. Because I know I'm not holy. And I know the only reason God looks at me as a sinner saved by grace is through the blood of Jesus, not because I'm good enough that he has to look at me that way. The believers in Philippi lived in a world that wasn't much different than ours. Corrupt politicians, immorality, violence. But they were in the world and not of the world. We are to be in the world but not of it. We're not to let the world contaminate us, dilute us, water us down. We are to shine as a light. We are to be pure and blameless, full of the Spirit, so that... When people see us and we say, I'm a Christian, I'm a member of Sherwood Baptist Church, that we shine like a star on a dark night. That our witness is bright. Nobody has to try to figure out if we have a witness or not. They may not like it, they may not agree with it, they may resist it, but there would be no doubt that we have it. That why we exist and what we exist for. You, you can see in your notes the titles of the books on the culture. And these are just a few I thought of off the top of my head. Amusing ourselves to death. Slouching toward Gomorrah. The culture of disbelief. No place for truth. The twilight of American culture. The end of democracy. You can read these books and know we are not walking in a season when God's spirit is sweeping across this land. Because those books are written about the crisis that we're in. Robert Schuller was dead wrong when he said self-love is or should be the basic will of human life. No. Self-love is what's gotten us in the mess we're in now. Self-love is why we have addictions and why people are in bondage. Because they love themselves and all they care about is themselves. The gospel is others centered. Philip Graham Ryken said, people who do not know what is true or wonder if anything is true at all are unable to do what is right and just and good. Intellectual skepticism quickly leads to moral relativism. In a rising generation, there is deep pessimism about the possibility of love and romance to say nothing of marriage and family. Our responsibility is to preach on how you can end up in heaven one day when you die. Our responsibility is to preach that you're lost and you're set back and you don't know if you're going to keep your house. You don't know if you're going to have a job. You don't know if you're going to be able to pay for health insurance. But I got good news for you. The day you stop breathing, Jesus is going to take you to live with him. That's our responsibility. 
Our responsibility is to preach a future hope in a current world. In a world of decay, that there is one who shines like a light and he takes the darkness of our lives away. Our, our message is to a decaying culture. We have been given unprecedented opportunities to be a light and to be a witness. Over the last 30 years, our culture has declined. We're tearing down fences and walls that kept us safe. And in the process, many churches thought, we just need to get a little more hip so we can relate to our culture. Let, now, let's just think about this. Does it look like America's flocking to the church because we're cooler than we used to be? Because we got more lights and better sound and we added a band? I'd say most of the people in this town stayed home this morning. You know, they didn't sit at home. They've not been sitting at home saying, if you would sing something cool and if you just, if your pastor would wear skinny jeans, I guarantee you we'd fill the building. You know what I would look like in skinny jeans? I'd look like a marshmallow sitting on top of two toothpicks. Uh, trust me. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't want to be weird, but I'm not going to be dumb. But, but we bought the lie that, that if we could just be cool and make changes that the world would accept us. Listen, the world does a better job at most of what we try to do. The one thing we've got they don't have is hope. And that hope comes through Jesus Christ. It doesn't come through the style of a building. It doesn't come through a program or through a method or through a style of worship. That hope comes through Christ. And that's the one thing we've got to give the world that they don't have. The church has lost her sense of being relevant, and we've become, I think, irrelevant. We spent way too much time trying to figure out if Jesus called us to be Democrats or Republicans, if he's called us to picket or protest, to support lobby groups or special interest groups, if we're supposed to be disciples of Fox News or CNN. And none of that is what the real core issue is. The core issue is what does God's Word say the church ought to be. I, I remember when I came here, uh, there, was, there, there were a lot of people that weren't sure about me when I first came here, and there are probably more that are not sure about me today, but I remember when I first came here, I, I came at the end of November, and so, you know, the first January I was here, which was just, you know, weeks I had a lady come up to me and said, are you going to join us this afternoon standing on the corner of 3rd Avenue and slappy with our signs picketing abortion? I said, no, ma'am, I'm not. And she said, well, are you for abortion? I said, no, ma'am, I'm not. But you're not going to change anybody's mind by standing on the corner with a sign and screaming at them while they drive down Slappy Boulevard. They're more concerned about getting to McDonald's than they are about what you've got to say about abortion. And that year, we opened the Crisis Pregnancy Center. You see, it's one thing to stand on the Anybody can stand on the side of a road with a sign and pick it for two hours. We got dozens of ladies who volunteer every week at our Crisis Pregnancy Center. We had a banquet this week. By the way, 
32 young ladies have been saved this year in a crisis pregnancy center. Can I tell you something? Nobody's ever been saved because you picketed. Thirty-two got saved. I think we've had eighty-two. We've had eight hundred visits to the Crisis Pregnancy Center this year. We're going to get close to a thousand girls this year in that ministry. You want to know how to be a light? Put your dumb sign down and go volunteer somewhere. You're not going to be a light standing on the side with a sign saying, I'm against something. Go be for something. Go be for stopping abortion. Go be for feeding the homeless. Go be for helping the students in Gillespie. Go be for helping with a Bible study at the Coke plant. Go be for stuffing some boxes for Samaritan's Purse for Operation Christmas Child. You want to be light? I can give you a thousand ways to be light. If you just want to gripe about the darkness, go stand in your closet and gripe. Because you're not going to change it by griping about it. You're only going to change it by being light. And, and we've watered it down to where we, we have sacrificed theology for numbers. Well, if we, if we just quit talking about the blood and quit talking about the cross and, and quit talking about these things, then, then people will come. For what? You might as well be a Rotary Club or the Exchange Club if you're going to do that. There's nothing distinctive about you if you take the cross out. James Montgomery Boyce said, Evangelicals are accepting the world's wisdom, embracing the world's theology, adopting the world's agenda, and employing the world's methods. So I want you to turn to Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. Acts 2 and verse 42. And this is our hinge verse for today. It's going to drive the points of this message. Acts 2 and verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So let's look at it. Teaching the Word of God. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's first for a reason. Because the Word is our foundation. They weren't devoting themselves to the latest ladies' Bible study written by some popular lady. They weren't devoting themselves to Simon Peter's study guide. They were devoting themselves to the Word of God and the apostles teaching them what Jesus had told them while they were walking with him. This is vital because we have gotten away from teaching the Word of God. The only way a church can teach the Word of God is if it believes the Word of God. Amen. And we can say we believe the Word of God in theory, but when I'm talking about believing the Word of God, I'm talking about believing everything from Genesis to Revelation and maybe the maps. Because it's God's story of how He plans to redeem sinful man. And how he put all of that into place. And one of the reasons that our churches are shallow today and they're not a light in their community is because they've just focused on everything on this level. How to not have stress. 
how to be a nice person, how to have better relationships, how to get along with your boss, how to raise kids that win Miss America and Mr. Universe, how, how to raise, you know, how to have a happy marriage, how to increase your intimacy. We do all this kind of stuff, but can I tell you something? I could preach on that every week, but if you're not right with God, this stuff doesn't matter. Because the only power you have to do that is by being right with God and full of the Spirit. All of that is just nice little helpful thoughts, and you could stay home and watch Dr. Phil for that. What makes it possible to live on this level with power and to have right relationships on this level is walking in the power of the Spirit of God, and you learn that by studying the Word of God. There are some TV preachers, they're one-trick ponies. I mean, every time, there's one guy I can think of right now. Every time you turn him on, he's got a map, and he's talking about prophecy. I mean, every sermon's on prophecy. He said more about prophecy than Jesus knows. Somehow he knows that it's about to happen. If he read his Bible, it says no man knows the hour of the day. Not even the son knows the hour of the day. Only the father knows the hour of the day. I'm glad he knows the hour of the day so he's put himself right up there with God. Why don't we know the hour of the day? Because the Bible says we are to always be ready. You see, if I know, you know, like the guy that predicted in 1989 it's going to happen on this day, well, it didn't happen. And then you got the guy that predicted it was going to happen just a year or so ago, and then it didn't happen. He said, well, I missed it by a couple of months. And so now it's this, and all his followers go out and sit on the hill and meditate on their navels, and, and they just, they're doing all this kind of stuff. Listen, if you knew the hour, you'd live like the devil until five minutes before. Then you'd get on your knees and say, oh, Jesus, forgive me. I know you're about to come. But if you don't know the hour, you'll watch yourself. Because he can come at any moment. We can get just locked down, but there's a flow. God's book has a flow and a structure and a story and a revelation. And we can't turn it into our favorite topics. Now, this is why preaching the word is important. And, I, and I'm staying here for a while, but th this is why preaching the word is important. Because it's not about your favorite subject. It's about a total picture of the Word of God. I mean, for you to always read about your favorite subject is like starting every conversation with, how do you like my elbow? Have I shown you my elbow lately? I really like talking about my elbow. Well, after a while, people say, you got anything else besides an elbow? Well, yeah, but my elbow is really what's important to me. I just love to study elbows. I mean, you got people that drive 300 miles for a prophecy conference that won't walk across the street to tell somebody Jesus is coming back. Amen. That's right. Spiritual gifts. Now there's a new one. Forgive me. I don't write me letters. Don't send me emails. Don't call me. Don't tweet me. I'm sorry. We don't need a Gaither Homecoming Bible. Right. <laughs> and you can go to Lifeway and buy a Gaither Homecoming Bible. Really? I mean, really, do I need a Gaither Homecoming Bible? When I open it, does it sing to me? <laughs> and we got spiritual gifts Bibles. We got prophecy Bibles. We got family study Bibles. Hey, I, I got an idea. Quit reading all the notes and read the Word. Amen. It'll do wonders for you. If you quit looking at the Bible saying, how's the Bible going to meet my needs? Just read it. God will show you. That's why the Holy Spirit's there. 
Well, what's the Bible say about family? Just read it. Quit trying to pick out verses out of context of the text, the chapter, the book, and the whole book, and just read the Word of God. God's smart enough to figure out what you need to know without you just getting off on a little tangent there. So now, don't tell Bill and Gloria. I've met them. They're nice people. I'm sure Benji's a cute boy, and I'm sure he's got great-grandchildren for him. But I'm sorry, folks. Some of you got a bunch of stuff at your house that you probably ought to get rid of and just get a Bible. Get a good study Bible. You ought to have a good study Bible. But quit buying everything that's built around a topic. You know, you got the Pentecostal Bible, the Spirit-filled Bible, as if any Bible is not full of the Spirit of God. Have I cleared that spot out? Is that rabbit skinned? Okay, now that rabbit skin, we're going to bring him out. Secondly, they worship the living God to fellowship the breaking of bread and prayer. That word fellowship is koinonia. It means participation and sharing. Can, can I tell you something? This is a reference to worship. And we have separated worship into what we do 15 minutes out of a service. And we've made the dangerous assumption that worship is the same as singing, and singing is the same as worship. Now, here's what you need to understand about worship. It was Moses, the prophets, the kings, that ordered the choir, the priests, and the Levites to go out ahead of the people in battle. The worship leader of a church is actually the pastor. Because the pastor gives charge to the singers about how that needs to be led. What needs to happen. And, and we've relegated worship. Well, we worship. I guess now we're going to have to listen to a sermon. And that's why a lot of churches have 45 minutes of music and 15 minutes of preaching. Because we've confused that my heart being stirred, and by the way, this is how most people look at worship today. I just, boy, I hope the choir sings something good today because I want to be stirred. That's asking God to do something in your emotions, not in your spirit. By the way, you're supposed to bring your worship to church with you. The worship that you've given to God during the week, we come together corporately and we pile that all up and it gets loud because we're celebrating and worshiping a living God. We're not just coming to sing songs. And we're not one of those churches, thank God, where it has to be in the bulletin for us to do it. Have you ever been in one of those churches where they worship the bulletin? I mean, you know, they're, they're just sitting down there. And they're, and they're looking at it. What I do, Mike? There it is. And they're looking at it. And, you know, I've seen this. And they sit there and they go, announcements, hymn number 344, invocation, hymn number 275, hymn number 147. I don't know that hymn. Offering, deacon of the week, sermon, oh, here we go again, invitation, sing two verses and go home, more announcements. Hey, somebody got saved this week. It's not in the bulletin. We can't talk about that.
It's not in the bulletin. I remember a secretary saying to me one time, not here in another church I served, I asked if we could add something. She said, I was a youth minister, so nobody respected me. <laughs> and this is what she said. We printed the bulletin on Wednesday. We cannot go back and reprint it. Oh. I'm going to write a book one day. I can't make up the stuff I know. They had the breaking of bread and prayer. You see, the Lord's Supper wasn't a small wafer and just a little cup. It was participating in the resurrection life. Here's the thought on worship, and then we're moving on. If your worship doesn't drive you to the cross, it's not worship. If your worship doesn't drive you to the cross, it's not worship. If it doesn't help you to see what God has done for you in Christ, it's not worship. No matter how loud you sing, no matter if we sing the songs you like or don't like, it has to drive you to the cross. Number three, they were a caring and sharing church. The thief says, what's yours is mine, I'll take it. The self-centered person says, what's mine is mine, I'll keep it. The Christian person says, what's mine is God's and I'll share it. This church was a sharing church. I'm grateful for our expanding ministries in this community. I hope over the next years until the Lord tarries, it gets even better. I cannot tell you what it does to my heart for our students to work Gillespie in the summers and once a month, to be out ministering to children and to families in the poorest section of our city. I can't tell you what it means to me to know the potential of what could happen at the Coke plant and the ministries that we can have there the number of families, the overwhelming majority of families that use Legacy Park from week to week that have nothing to do with our church except they're in our recreation program. The people in SCA that we get to influence. We have dozens and dozens of students saved every year at SCA through the ministry of this church. That's caring and sharing. Now, this is not a political statement. This is a biblical statement. It's not the role of government to meet the needs of a community. It's the role of the church. You know, do, do you know why government has taken over meeting the needs of a community? Because we don't tithe. Now listen, just listen. Median income of Albany, Lee County, Terrell County. Medium income. Medium income in the fourth poorest city in America. If we all tithed, our budget would be over $10 million. It's four. That would mean that we could meet the needs of many people in this community that we can't meet right now. But because we don't tithe, guess what? You want to know what the punishment for not tithing is? A government that taxes you more and more to take care of people that the church ought to be taking care of. You want to know what you're doing? You're tithing to the government. You're tithing your money every year to people that provide abortion, that support gay marriage, that support pornography and lotteries and gambling. You're providing your money to that. You know why? Because somewhere along the line, the church said, we don't want to worry about people taking care of people. Let's send them somewhere else. Seems like the disciples did that. 
5,000 hungry people. Send them away, Jesus. We don't have any money to feed them. And Jesus didn't send them away. He met the need. We can do everything God wants us to do in this town if we're obedient to caring and sharing. And by the way, when God gets a hold of your heart, he also gets a hold of everything else. Last thing, they were committed to evangelism and missions. The Lord added to their number daily. Uh, evangelism wasn't an event. It wasn't a crusade. It was a way of life. Uh, they went door to door. They met daily. They ministered to one another. They invited their friends and their family. Some of them invited their masters. Some invited their slaves. It was, a, it was a different time and a different culture. But evangelism and missions was a way of life for them. They never thought they wouldn't do it. They did it before they knew there was a spiritual gift of evangelism. They just did it because it was the overflow of what Christ had done in their life. They invited people to come and hear the apostles' teaching. And the Lord added to their number day by day. Now, let me just... <laughs> I don't know how I got off on all this stuff today. It's your fault. Um, I, I, I have had people in 23 years here. I've had people say to me, say, I, I love it when we have concerts and stuff because I can invite people to come because I'm afraid to invite them when you're preaching because you might offend them. Vance Havner taught me hit dog hollers. <laughs> can I tell you something? The cross is offensive. Because the cross tells me that I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. The cross tells me that it took God giving his only son to die for my sin because I was such a wretched and depraved and hopeless case that I could not fix myself, I could not save myself. And if I want to live for myself, that's offensive. But it's also the gospel. And it still works. It delivers people from all of their sin. They were committed to evangelism and to missions. You know that I think according to the last statistic I saw, it takes about 48 to 50 people in a church to win one person to Jesus. Just think if, just think if your prayer this year, if you'd begun this year and said, Lord, I don't know who, I don't know where, I don't know when, and I don't know how, but would you use me to lead one person to Christ this year? Just one. You're not asking to win the city to Christ. You're just asking God to use you to lead one person to Christ. Now, this past year, we baptized about 120 people. Do you know how many people we would have baptized if we'd have taken the Great Commission seriously? Based on the membership of this church, we would have baptized 2,900 people. We are not a light in this city because we are disobeying the command to be the light. If you took all the members of this city that are in churches, I'm talking about just the ones that come, forget the ones we can't find, that are in churches, there would have been eight to 10,000 people in the three-county area that would have been saved in the last year if we took seriously God's command to be his witnesses. Eight to 10,000. You think that would have made a difference in Albany, Georgia? 
You think it would have made the lives of our police department and our sheriff's department a little easier? You think it would have made a little easier for the drug squads, a little easier if eight to 10,000 people were saved, that the whole city knew that lives were being changed? But we had dozens of churches that didn't baptize anybody this past year. But God has called us to be a city on a hill. We have favorable circumstances, but I believe the day will come in the lifetime of our students and your children. I believe unless we have revival, the day will come when it will be against the law for you to share your faith in this country because it will not be politically correct and it will be offensive. We better seize the day while we have it. We better meet the need while we can meet it. What God expects of a church is exactly what God has called this church to do. We cannot back up from it. We cannot walk away from it. It'll break down the barriers. It will change the secularization of our society. It will deal with racism and prejudice and arrogance and pride. It's not favorable circumstances we need. It's obedience is what we need. And so let's go back to what F.B. Meyer said. When we want to know God's will, three things need to line up. An inward impulse, God in our heart, the Word of God, God in His Word, and the trend of circumstances, God in our circumstances. Now just leave those up right there. An inward impulse. Has anything in you today, has anything in you today, anything stirred you that you need to be a better student of the Word of God, that you need to think about how your worship goes, you need to think about how your giving is, and you need to think about what you do with sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. If it did, it's because you're listening to the Spirit. It's not because I'm a great preacher. If you did, it's because God's Spirit was tugging at your heart about one of those areas. All of us can improve in those areas. There's none of us that's got all that figured out. But if you have an inward impulse, it's because God has spoken to you. The Word of God. God has spoken. He hadn't stuttered. That Word is very clear. Acts chapter 2 is very clear about what the early church did. And then the trend of circumstances. The trend of circumstances is going downward. The, the city, the community, the county, the nation is getting darker. You say, well, it's going to get dark before Jesus comes back. That doesn't mean we sit around and wait for Jesus to come back. It means we get busy until he comes back. Let's pray together. Stand to your feet if you would. I'm going to ask our staff to be at the front. If you are here today and you do not know the good news of Jesus Christ, you're not here by accident. You're here because God brought you here. You may not even have understood that, but God brought you here so you could have an opportunity to respond to Christ and to give your heart to him. I'm going to ask you, we're not going to sing. We're not going to play. This is quiet. Christians, I'm asking you to pray. Here's what I want to happen in this room right now. If you need to trust Christ, or if you're looking for a church home, then I'm going to ask you, right now to just begin to step out. Ask the person by you to let you out. If you came with somebody, ask them if they would go with you. I'm going to ask you to step out right now and just begin to come from the back, from the middle, from the front, from the balcony, from the mezzanine, wherever you are, and just begin to come and find one of these men and say, I'd like to, I'd like to find out what it means to trust Christ. I would like to know 
how to be saved, or I'd like to talk to somebody about what it means to be a part of the church. Christians, here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you right now to draw a circle around yourself and ask yourself one question. Lord, am I light? Just be honest. Ask the question. Am I light? Am I light to my family? Am I light to my friends? Am I light at work? Am I light at school? Am I light in this community? And if you're not the kind of light you need to be, then would you ask God to burn brightly in your heart that you would not settle for flickering when you need to be a flame. That you wouldn't settle for having the dimmer on, that you'd turn the light on full switch and let God shine through you. We know what we need to do. You really didn't need this, this sermon today. You, you know, I know what we need to do. It's not a question of knowing, it's a question of doing. It's not that we need more information, it's we need to act on the information we already have. What would happen if just us, forget the people that aren't here today, forget the people that don't come, what would happen if just those of us in this room would just begin to pray, God, some, somehow, in the next 12 months, would you let me have the privilege of sharing the love of Christ with someone and seeing them come to saving faith? Would you let me, not, not let the visitation team from the church, not let the staff, not, but would you let me personally share the love of Jesus Christ with somebody to the point where they say, I need what you've got. Would you let my light so shine that they will glorify the Father in heaven because they see my good works? Not so that they see me, but they see you in me. Lord, let me shine for you. Let me be a bright light for you. Time is short. We don't know the day or the hour when Jesus will come back. We don't know our next breath. But we know this. God has called us to be a church that is a light, a city on a hill. And where we go and what we do and how we act, how we respond, how we live. So you may not come forward today, but when you walk out of this church... You are accountable to God to be a light when you go to lunch, when you take your kids to their activities during the week, when you're in carpool, when you're waiting in a doctor's office, when you're talking to the neighbor. You're responsible. I'm responsible 
to be a light. Let's not be lights that are burned out in a time when this world needs every light possible turned on. Father, I pray for these people who I love, for me, for our staff, for our deacons, for our leadership. God, that we will be a city on a hill. That we will be a bright light in this community. Lord, the opportunities are overwhelming and we would be overwhelmed by them were it not for the fact that you, everywhere you call us to go, you equip us to go. And everything you expect us to do, you provide your spirit to empower us to do it. So, Lord, we go not in our own strength, but we go in your strength. Use, Father, the word to make us better listeners and better worshipers and better at our caring and our sharing and better in our evangelism, not in our power, but empowered by your spirit that will not let us go until we are on the right path in these areas. In Jesus' name, amen.